so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. It's a real privilege uh, to be invited to uh, speak this morning in a unique one. Um, to be able to speak in the church that I uh, was previously the pastor of. Um, before I get into the word, though, I, I felt like God gave me a word for Keith and Pam this morning. Is it okay if I share that? It's an encouraging one. Um, um, <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I, um, as we were worshipping, I felt like God said to me, 100 days, um, and... Uh, put in my mind, um, and I checked, and it's been 98 days. So if, if you want to be precise, this is a word for Tuesday. Um, because I checked, it's been 98 days um, since you started uh, leading in the church. And um, in, in politics, particularly American politics with the American president, there's a big thing around 100 days uh, of like, you know, they've made all these promises. I'm not saying you made all these promises, but in politics, they've made all these promises. And there's kind of this checkpoint after 100 days where the media get into it and go, well, what have they achieved and what have they done with their first 100 days? Um, and I just felt like God wanted to say this morning or for Tuesday morning, um, just well done. Uh, it's been, uh, uh, you've done so well. Um, and he just wanted to honour you. There's a, it's just the beginning uh, of your ministry here, but I believe it's a significant kind of milestone, that 100 days uh, of being the pastors of this church. And uh, I know that I've personally been blessed uh, by your ministry. Um, there's a sense in, uh, um, for, for, for me and Christy, it's like the first time we've had pastors for nearly a decade, um, and, and, and we've been really blessed by that. Uh, no, the church has been really blessed by your ministry, your, not just your, 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 your preaching, um, but just the, the love that you've shown to this church family. Um, uh, you've done amazingly well. And I just want to personally thank uh, you for the space you've allowed for Christy and I to still be a part of this church and for our boys, and that's been a real blessing. Uh, and, um, yeah, and, and to, to inviting me to preach today um, is a blessing. So thank you, uh, Keith, and thank you, Pam, uh, for your love for the church uh, and for, for me and my family. Um, so not surprisingly, uh, Pastor Keith has asked me to speak on, on Pentecost this morning, being Pentecost uh, Sunday. Um, and so Pentecost was originally, uh, before the, the day we read about this morning, was, was a harvest festival uh, in, in uh, the Jewish uh, nation, uh, Israel, God's people. Uh, and, and so it was the end of the barley harvest, the start of the wheat harvest. It was one of three, there was lots of festivals, but it was one of three key festivals that were, were pilgrimage festivals where, where people, uh, Jews who were the diaspora, so lots of Jewish people after the exile uh, didn't come home, but they remained Jewish around all the world. And so that's why we get that list of places that people have come from. They would have speak, spoken those languages uh, they would have lived in those places, but they still preserved their Jewish culture. And so they travelled up um, to Jerusalem. Uh, it was always called up to Jerusalem. No matter where you were coming from, it was always up to Jerusalem um, because it was the, the place of worship that you travelled up to uh, in a metaphorical spiritual sense. Uh, and so that's why we have all of these people in Jerusalem on this, on this uh, day of Pentecost. 
Um, and, and within all of those people, there was, we would believe, about 120 people in the room together. Uh, we're not sure. It maybe was just the disciples, but most people think it was about the 120 spoken about in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It said, at this point, there was about 120 or so believers, those who believed uh, in Jesus as the, the Lord and the Messiah. So they're together uh, in the room together. And it was a miraculous day, a day of unusual phenomena of signs, of wonders. It was a day when God acted in a way that he had not acted before. It was a day where he defied people's expectations, where he uh, didn't fit the box of religiosity that people had sought to put him in. Even the way he had acted, you know, it was a change. So it wasn't just about people had gotten it wrong. It was that there was a shift in the way, a dramatic shift in the way that God interacted with his people and his creation. And so there's two distinct responses in the crowd to this this phenomena, this this miraculous happening. In in verse 12 and 13, it says that they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? But the other response was some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. These people are drunk. And, and so this kind of this polarity is often the responses that we make when God does things that don't fit our box. When God uses people that don't uh, tick all of our boxes of what we might like about a good, neat Christian person. These are the kind of responses we have. We can have this response of what does it mean? Or oh, that doesn't fit my box, you must be drunk. We laugh, but we're so quick to reject if it doesn't fit our box. And so I want to encourage you all this morning and myself this morning to to step into the other response. We don't have to have all the answers yet, and I'm not going to answer everything this morning. I'll leave that for Keith next week. Oh, no, it's the kids next week. You're off the hook. The kids will answer all of our questions next week. Faith like a child. They 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 understand things that we have forgotten to know. Um, we're not going to answer all the questions this morning, but I want to encourage you to, to join me and posture our hearts with that question. What does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? Not to go, you're drunk, they're drunk, this is weird, I don't want to have, have anything to do with that spiritual mumbo-jumbo, I want the neat, clean gospel with none of the crazy weird stuff. Those people are drunk, as long as they can keep it over there, let's not have that posture, let's Step in and say, what does this mean? And, and so I want to look at what, what do the signs and wonders themselves tell us? What, what do they say about what this day means? What does what Peter said to the crowds, what does that say about what this day means? And, and, and then we want to step back and connect with where uh, Pastor Keith left us last week with what does Jesus say this day means? And hopefully through all of that, we can grab what does this mean for you and for me? Amen. So what do the signs say? What do the signs say that this means? What do these phenomena tell us? There was three things that accompanied the filling of each believer with the Holy Spirit. There was a sound of a rushing or or, or violent wind. There was tongues of fire resting on each person. And there was the speaking in tongues enabled by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 1 and 2 we read about the wind. 
It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I'm sure at first they thought, well, this is a bit weird. If suddenly a a blowing wind came through the building, our first response might not be it's the spirit. Hopefully we'd get to there. We might be like, what's what's happening with the air conditioning? But throughout the scriptures, wind is associated with the spirit of God. Uh, The Hebrew and Greek words for spirit, ruach and pneuma, actually... They're the words that the scriptures use to describe the Spirit of God. They're also words that mean wind. They mean breath. And so that's why we have this connection, this association with the Spirit of God being the wind of God, the breath of God. And so the sound of rushing wind is the sound of the Holy Spirit filling the room. It's as if God breathed into the room, recapitulating the breath he breathed into Adam. It's, it's that creation of Adam and we read that story in Genesis where he formed him out of the dust and then he breathed life into him and this Pentecost moment is is like God breathing life into his church Uh, the, the mental picture I have of it is like the room was almost like a vacuum and then when you take the lid off the air rushes in that's what this moment was like and so the wind is is the sound of the spirit entering the room when we read wind even when it's not explicitly the spirit when we read in genesis and and uh, the, the holy spirit was hovering over the earth it's like the wind blowing over the earth when when god says in the story of um of noah and the ark when when god sent a wind upon the earth it's it's kind of metaphorical of the spirit hovering blowing around the earth and so when the wind comes into the room it's the sound of the holy spirit entering the room And then in verse 3, we read about they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And we might think, well, that's a bit weird as well. If, uh, well, Keith's hair's not going to go up on fire. Um, But but if if there was fire on top of Pam's head, we might be tempted to go, oh, Pam, kind of brush that out. But fire too, these unexpected things when we dig into them aren't that unexpected because fire too is representative of God's power and presence with his people throughout the Old Testament. Think of the burning bush where God appeared to Moses and he saw a a fire on a bush but the the fire was was a type of fire that didn't burn the bush up. And we read in that story that that was the presence of God, the spirit of God manifesting in flames we can think of the column of fire that led israel through the wilderness at night that 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 kind of we were told they were led by a cloud at day and by a column of fire at night it's 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 representative of the powerful presence of god and as keith mentioned earlier in our service the difference now though is that the tongues of fire come to rest on each person it's not just a column of fire over all of Israel as, as a collective group of people. It's, it's not just a burning bush that appears to one person for a special, unique purpose. On the day of Pentecost, the, the writer Luke makes a point to say a tongue, what appeared to be a tongue of fire, came and rested upon each 
person. And so each person is individually filled. The Spirit now rests upon and fills each and every believer. That doesn't negate or erode what Dan was talking about this morning, about the the power of coming together to worship. They were all together in a room when this happened. But the shift now is that the Holy Spirit fills each one and rests upon each one. And then the, the, the third sign... In verse 4 is all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, which that, that is what is happening here. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third sign of that is they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so this is different. Most, most uh, Bible scholars would say that this is different to uh, what we have referred to as tongues elsewhere in the Scriptures. That's more of a spiritual language, a, an intimate prayer language with the Lord. And, and sometimes it might be the means through which uh, a prophetic word is given if there's an interpreter. Uh, this is a little bit different. It's, there's probably some crossover, but, but this is a, what some people would describe as a miracle of languages. These were all uh, Galileans, we're told, but, but as they are enabled, they are able to speak in tongues that were not their own, languages that were not their own. And those who'd gathered from, we're told, every nation under heaven, uh, we take that to mean every nation that they had heard of at that point of time under heaven, uh, had gathered in Jerusalem. Um, and, and most of those nations would have had uh, Greek as a common language, Um, So it wasn't that they were in Jerusalem and unable to communicate with each other, but they all would have had their own native tongue, their own natural tongue, their own uh, dialects within community. And and even the Galileans spoke a somewhat different dialect of Aramaic to those that were in uh, Jerusalem. They were kind of the hicks, the backwaters. They they, they didn't speak properly uh, from the perspective of someone in Jerusalem. But, But in this moment, everybody here is not the common tongue, not the, the, the Greek that the, the, the New Testament was written in so that everybody could understand it at the time. They hear it in their native heart language, their natural tongue. They hear the wonders of God praised. And so this demonstrates to us that the Holy Spirit's role is to empower the sharing of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That there's people gathered from the ends of the earth to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit in that moment enables everybody to hear in their own language. In words that would have struck to their heart the wonders that God had done. Wind and fire and tongues. What, what does this mean? What do these signs say? Well, they tell us that as as much as it is is a moment where God's acting differently, they show us that God is still acting consistently with how he's revealed himself, how he's manifested himself throughout history. Yes, it's different, but yes, it's the same God. The spirit is still a rushing wind. The power of God is, is still a roaring fire. He's still the one who has power over the tongue. And in a sense, in that, it's a reversal of what happened at Babel where the languages were confused and the people were scattered in this moment. The, language, the people are gathered and the languages are unconfused. So it's consistent with how God has manifested himself, but it also points to a new age in salvation history. They point us towards, these signs point us towards the day of Pentecost being an epoch moment, a, a significant shifting moment. <clears throat> 
It's the day that the first believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? We go on to consider, what what does Peter say? Because we have this response from those who are there. Some are like leaning in, doing what we want to do this morning and ask, what does this mean? But then there's others who say, oh, these people are drunk. And, And that's what initiates a response from Peter. We're told in verse 14 that it says uh, that Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice addressing the crowd. And he goes on to give an explanation, which is good because Peter practices what he preaches. He's the one that wrote in in 1 Peter verse... uh, Uh, chapter 3 verse 15 he's the one who wrote always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you possess and so Peter's practicing what he's going to be preaching in the future here and he's the one that stands in and gives an explanation to the crowds he says fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem let me explain this to you listen carefully to what I say these people are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning Now, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and all and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what Peter says this means, what he says is that this day is the fulfillment of a prophecy from hundreds of years earlier. God promised this day would come. That the Spirit would be poured out on all people. That there would be signs and wonders. That there would be dreams and, and, and prophecies. And some of those other things, the, the darkening of the sun and, and billows of smoke and things like that. We're, we're told in the Gospels that things like that happened at the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he says at the end of that section of his message to the crowds and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then so Peter went on and I encourage you to read uh, the next section of Acts chapter 2. It's a great gospel message of the life of death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter goes on in that section to tell them about Jesus. In whose name they would be saved. He told them about his miracles. He told them about his death. He told them about his resurrection And he told them that through those things, he's confirmed by God to be both their Lord and the Messiah. And then I want to pick up in in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So that's the next good question to ask. What does this mean? But then the next question is, well, well what, what should I do? Yeah. How should I respond to what God is doing? And so Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Peter says, what should we do? His response is to repent, which means to, to acknowledge that I have fallen short of the glory of God, the glory for which he created me for. That I have sinned and fallen short of that glory, that I've, I've blemished the image of God that he sowed within me. It means to acknowledge that and turn away from that. To repent and turn away from that and fix our eyes and our life upon Jesus. He says, repent. He says, be baptized, believe and be baptized as a, as a demonstration of that repentance. And he says, receive. He says, you too can receive the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning or, or listening online now or another time, if that's you, if you're, if you're in that space of, oh, I can see that God is doing something and you've not yet made that decision to repent, and to believe, which later on can be uh, enacted out in, in, in a, a baptism, I encourage you to do that now. Uh, we're going to pray at the end of the message and encourage you to pray then, but you don't have to wait for me to finish yabbering away. If that's you in your heart now, I want to encourage you to repent, to believe. Talk to Pastor Keith later on about a baptism if you have not yet been baptised. And the promise is that you will receive. And so what does this mean? Peter's message means that the work of the Spirit, the fulfillment of that prophecy is to call people towards repentance and salvation in the finished work of Jesus. The work of the Spirit is to call people towards repentance and salvation in the finished work of Jesus. The cross and resurrection are a finished work. And in this age where the Holy Spirit has come, the role of the Holy Spirit is to call us towards salvation in that, to empower us towards that. And so we're told that, that that work of the Holy Spirit was quite successful on that day. About 3,000 were added to their number. But I want to I grab again something really significant that Peter said at the end of that message that's, that's significant for each of us today. In Acts 2, I'm going to read 38 again, but I'm going to go on to verse 39. It says, Peter replied in response to that question, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's, That's me. That's you. This promise of receiving wasn't just a one-day offer. wasn't just a one-moment offer on the day of Pentecost. It was a promise to all who would believe that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost wasn't a one-off thing. It's, it's the beginning, as significant as the day of Pentecost was, it's just the beginning of the outpouring. As dramatic as it was, it was just the first time. We can read about further kind of Pentecost types of events. I'm just going to whiz through a few. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 46, this is a story where, where Peter's been reluctantly led uh, by, by God to, to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles because on the day of Pentecost, it's just Jews from all these nations. Yeah. This is the moment uh, where, where God... Uh, reveals to perhaps the Jewish, most Jewish of the apostles, the Captain Jewish, uh, that, that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. Yeah. 
And so he reluctantly goes to the house of this um, Roman even, Cornelius, to preach the gospel. He's kind of forced by God uh, to do it, not, not in a eroding of his free will, but made it very clear to him that's what he's calling to do. And so Peter's explaining the gospel to him uh, and then to them, to the household of Cornelius. And in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, this is what I mean, you don't have to wait for me to finish. While Peter's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter, that's, that's a way of saying they were all Jewish, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so it happens again. It's a little bit different, but it's also the same. It's clearly the same thing happening for another group of people. And not just then, later on in in Acts chapter 19, now in the Apostle Paul's ministry... Um, in a place called Ephesus, we read in verses, what am I going to read? In verses 1 to 6, we're told that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at, arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Again, it's happening again. It's the same, but it's a little bit different again. It's not like there's a formula that we can enact the right rituals and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God's Spirit moving and at work in this new age of salvation history where God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. It wasn't just a one-day offer. And so what does this mean? What does Peter say? He, he says that Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise to pour out the Holy Spirit on all people. He says that the Holy Spirit calls us towards repentance and salvation in Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is is to draw people towards salvation in the finished work of Jesus. In fact, elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, apart from the work of the Spirit, no one can be saved. But Pentecost is just the beginning, he says. He says, and you will receive the Spirit when you believe. That's you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. So what do the signs say? What does Peter say? I, I, I want to draw us towards you know, the most important voice in the conversation. What does, what does Jesus say? What has he already said about this day? Uh, and so this comes at the end of the 40 critical days that, that Pastor Keith spoke about last week. And we're going to land back in there this morning in Acts chapter 1. In verses 4 to 8, just to recap, it says, On one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And so this is the critical 40 days that that, uh, Keith spoke about between his resurrection and his ascension. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so Jesus uses the word baptize. And so you may have heard, have you been baptized in the Spirit? That comes directly from Jesus. He uses the word baptized with the Holy Spirit. That means to be immersed, to be enveloped, to be submerged in the Holy Spirit. And he says that that this will be a receiving of power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them to be witnesses, to be on mission. But crucially, Jesus says, and this is the, uh, Keith unpacked that well last week, but this is the bit I really want to grab for us this morning is that crucially, Jesus said, wait. He said, do not leave Jerusalem until they have, until you have received the Holy Spirit, until you receive that power. And so this tells us something extraordinarily significant for our following the mission of God. It tells us that the mission of God is impossible without the empowerment of the Spirit of God. The mission of God is impossible without the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we're tempted, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to fulfill God's calling in my own strength to think, I can do this. Even preaching a sermon, I um, often thought, oh, I've done enough, I can read a few passages and make a few notes. And then when I sit down and do that, I'm like, oh God, help me. I can't do this without you. And when I've been thinking about this week, I thought the apostles were more equipped than anyone to be able to run with this thing called the mission of God without the Holy Spirit. They had watched Jesus himself do the things. They were with him while he healed, while he cast out demons, while he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God. They were taught directly by him. They weren't just at the public meetings. They, they had these little side meetings with Jesus where, you know, like in the parable of the sower, where they said, oh, we didn't get it. What does it mean? And so they got kind of the, the commentary of the parables directly from Jesus. They were in a position to have better theology than anybody. They were taught by him. They were even given authority by him while he was still on earth to do miracles to cast out demons, to heal the sick. They had actually done the things themselves already with Jesus' commissioning. And so if anybody could do this mission, to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth, to, to, as Matthew uh, records it, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that Jesus commanded them. If anybody could do that, if anybody could do what God has uniquely called them to do, Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it would have been these guys. And yet he told them to wait. He told them, don't try and run ahead. And so he's telling us not to wait in the same way. The day of Pentecost has come. We have had the Holy Spirit, but but to wait upon the Lord. To not run ahead in our own strength and, and make our own uh, plans and think that we can do it without him. I don't need to, to rest in his presence, to wait upon the Lord and to be empowered by the Spirit of God for the mission of God. 
You know, if, if we think that we can do God's mission, that God's calling on our life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on our life, we've either got too small a vision of what he's calling us to do or too big a vision of ourselves. To which the Apostle Paul would say, don't think more highly of yourself than you are. And so we can know the scriptures off by heart. We can, see, we can have seen it all. But without the Spirit, we can't do anything of worth. You can be an expert driver, but without fuel in the tank, you're not going to go anywhere. And as I say that, I realise it's such a poor analogy for the person of the Holy Spirit to say he's just petrol in the tank. But without the, the, the power of the Spirit in our life, we're as good as a car with nothing in the tank. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that the words that God spoke through the prophet Zechariah to Zerubbabel centuries before in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, where he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel who was, who was building the temple, who had a calling from God, a mission from God to do something significant, uh, who was building the temple to which Jesus would return to. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What Jesus has to say about Pentecost means that that word, though we're not called to build a temple with rocks and wood and bricks like Zerubbabel, we're called to build something, I believe, not to diminish the value of that temple that Jesus walked upon in, but we're called to build something much more significant. God says to us, not by might, not by your intellect or your gifts or abilities, though he will use those, but by my spirit. What does this mean? It means that being filled with the Holy Spirit empowers us for the mission of God. It empowers us to be his witnesses, to be disciple makers, to be gospel carriers. And so I don't want to discourage you from studying the scriptures. I don't want to discourage you from learning, from growing, from getting skilled. But, but let us never get to the place where we think, I can do this by my strength, by my might, by my intellect. Without the Spirit at work within us, all of everything that we try and do is futile. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labour in vain. And so the day of Pentecost was such a significant day. It was an epoch, a moment in history that changed all of history. Everything that has come after it. But it was just the beginning. It was a fulfilment of prophecy. It was, a, it was an outpouring of power. It was the infilling of every single believer with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And it's ongoing to today. If Deb and worship team would like to come. And so I want to conclude this morning. Uh, I want to read it and then I want to pray it over as the words of the Apostle Paul to that church in Ephesus. He was there when he laid hands on them and he saw God fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, and he spoke um, words later in Ephesians. He, he said to, to the church, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's famously that word filled uh, isn't uh, past tense. It's a present continuing tense in the Greek. And so uh, to be filled with the Spirit is, Pentecost is ongoing, but the, the call for us to be filled is ongoing. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter 
really, if you're not sure, was I filled? Did I get the Spirit? Have I been baptized? Did it look like that? Was it, was it right? I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the ongoing call of God to us is to be filled. Yeah. So, so in a sense, it, it, it doesn't matter what's happened before today because there's a fresh call today. Yeah. Be filled. Yeah. Be filled. Amen. Anyway, what I wanted to read was Ephesians chapter 1. And this is, this is both an encouragement that, that Paul gave to the church about what it really means to have the power of the Spirit in their life. But it's also a prayer that they would come to grasp it. So I want to read it and then I want to pray it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus and through the Spirit of God to us. Therefore, do not be foolish. It's just good advice. Do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Sorry, I'm, that's, I'm reading the wrong one. Ephesians chapter 1. I jumped straight to chapter 5. My bookmark was in the wrong space. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That was still good advice. That was the bit I was just talking about. Don't get drunk. Don't be foolish. Be filled. And what that means, Paul says in verse 17, I keep asking... This is chapter 1 now. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for us. And this is what I want us to grab this morning. The mission of God is impossible without the Spirit. But Paul wants those in Ephesus to know that with the Spirit, we have an incomparably great power. It's not, not just enough. He says, oh, He's holy people and He's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And not just that, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. And so Paul explains and prays that the church would know that the power of the spirit that is within them is the same power that raised Christ from death and defeat. Not just to life, but to the highest of highs, to the highest place above every other name, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And so the question uh, invoked by that is, what could the Spirit of, of God at work in us not do? And so I want to pray for us this morning. Um, if you'd like to stand, stand as a uh, posturing yourself to... to want to receive and I'm going to pray and then I'll hand over back to Keith and the worship team Father I pray for us this morning we, we posture our, our, our hearts we posture ourselves our souls to receive Father for especially for those of us that have not 
put our trust in you before, but for each of us this morning, we repent. We acknowledge before you that we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory for which you created us. We've blemished the image of God in us. We repent and say we're sorry. And we declare that we believe. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that he rose again. We believe that he is our Lord, our Messiah, and our Saviour. And so we ask for you to fulfil your promise. The promise that was prophesied through Joel and repeated through Peter, that all who believe will be filled. And so we pray, fill us afresh this morning. Fill us afresh with your spirit this morning. We're sorry that we've tried to do it on our own. In our own power and strength. And so we declare this morning that we want to operate not by our strength or by our might, but by your spirit. And so fill us afresh today. We pray that as you fill us, you reveal to us, as Paul's words say, the incomparably great power that is at work in us. Help our limited minds to understand, to comprehend that the power that raised Christ from the dead and set him on the throne of heaven is at work within us. Come fill us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.